Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host. Uh, And today on the podcast, we're going to have a timely discussion about today's payrolls report, the unemployment report, and what it means for growth and inflation. Uh, But first, a word from our sponsor and the trivia question. This episode of Sense and Sensibility is sponsored by Simplify ETFs, a fast-growing ETF shop democratizing access to the most sophisticated alternative strategies. With diversifying strategies like market-neutral equity long-short, managed futures, and multi-strat quant, Simplify has a suite of compelling tools to help address the biggest concerns with the classic 60-40 portfolio. Check out their website at simplify.us, and you can find their entire lineup of ETFs at simplify.us slash ETFs. And, uh, and now the trivia question. Uh, this is one that I had asked many years ago when I was a strategist at Barclays, um, and, and I've always liked it. So if you read my commentary back then, you'll know the answer. But what Major League Baseball franchise, we just had the World Series, what ma- Major League Baseball franchise was known as the Bridegrooms when they won their first pennant in 1890? Ah, uh, the famous Bridegrooms. Such a powerhouse. 1890. So today we had the payrolls report. And, you know, I mean, I've been an, inf- an inflation guy uh, or the inflation guy now for a very long time. But um, prior to being the inflation guy, you know, I was a, a, a rates strategist, a fixed income relative value strategist. And, and, um, and when I look back at, at all my old commentaries, um, and, you know, I would write a daily article for institutional clientele. Um, a lot of it was about, you know, until I became an inflation trader, the vast majority of it was about the economy and, and how I thought that the the latest economic data was was uh, showing you know the evolving of the of the economic backdrop and Federal Reserve policy and 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 so on and um, and really it was about telling the story and 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 telling a consistent story day to day and explaining how the latest data either supports your hypothesis or or threatens your hypothesis and, and then changing over time to to you know as as circumstances changed so you know when i look at the unemployment report of course that was something that obviously i spent a lot of time on and even though from the standpoint of an inflation guy you know the main thing that comes out of it is the average hourly earnings number which turns out to be a really bad wage wage measurement anyway, um, you know, still I, I pay a lot of attention to to this number. And obviously the market pays a lot of attention to it. And as an investor, that's the other reason that I pay a lot of attention to it. And, and this morning's report, you know, we've had some reports that were, you know, ham on rye, as we would say, you know, boring and, and, and what have you. But for a long time, we've sort of been waiting for the the weakening the economic weakening. I mean, I, honestly, I thought we would have a recession sometime this year. And I, I've been saying that since last year. And I've been sh- shocked, like many other people, that we haven't had the recession yet. And I guess in some in some measures, we kind of had a little bit of a recession last year. But, um, you know, I think that there are a lot of reasons for that, which I'm not going to get into here. The main one being that people still had a lot of money <laughs> that got flushed into their accounts back in COVID. And, and, and the whole COVID policy 
fiscal monetary policy just messed up all all the traditional ways we looked at these things. But but anyway, but we had a report today that looked a lot like something we're kind of more familiar with, and that was a a payrolls report showing some weakening of of the labor market. Um, it wasn't terrible, but it was weaker than expected. And among other things, and the thing I want to sort of you know mainly focus on here is that it included a an uptick in the unemployment rate to 3.9%, which is an amazing unemployment rate, right? It says, you know, 96.1% of people who want it, wanted a job or were looking for a job actually had one. That's pretty good. A 3.9% unemployment rate. Um, but that, and, and that wasn't expected. And, um, but what's interesting about it is that now that means that the unemployment rate at 3.9 is now one a full one half percent above the lows reached in April this year. Well, so it was 3.4 percent. Now it's 3.9 percent. That's not a big deal, right? Well, here's an interesting stat: um, when the unemployment rate rises four or five tenths above the lows, it almost always goes up another one and a half percent or more from that. So with a 3.9, we're almost certainly going to see in unemployment go up to five and a half percent or so. And it could be higher than that. This is the 11th time since 1970 that the unemployment rate has risen at least four tenths or five tenths above the low from the, from the prior year. Um, we can admit Oh, we can omit two of those times it happened that it was kind of a head fake. You know, the, the, the unemployment rate was coming down from a high level after a recession. And, um, and, and there's like a little head fake where it went up briefly. Um, but the other eight episodes are from January 1970, January 1974, August 1979, November 1989, April 95, January 2001, December 2007, and March 2020. Now, the historically astute listener will recognize that um, that sounds like a list of recessions. Uh, <laughs> um, of those episodes, only the one, only the April 1995 one did not happen in conjunction with leading into a recession. Um, and, and so we had eight previous episodes, seven of them ended up in recession. And of those seven recessions, the average subsequent equity market decline was 23%. Um, and there's even an asterisk there because, um, by the time we got the March, 2020 number, we were already rallying thanks to massive financial assistance. So if you, so there wasn't, there wasn't a subsequent decline, it wasn't a decline of the equity market subsequent to the the increase in the unemployment rate in March 2020. We'd already seen the lows. Uh, so take that one out. And the other six times this happened, we saw a 26% decline. And and by the way, it ranges from 11 or 12% up to 40-something uh, percent. So the increase in the unemployment rate that we've seen so far means it's very likely that we are in or about to be in a recession. And by the way, there are other there's other uh, uh, industrial uh, indicators that 
that similar that that signals similar things. We have default rates going up. We have other 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 signals, not just the unemployment rate, that suggest that the economy is, if not in a recession, it's very close to getting in into one. Um, you have to be a little bit careful these days about looking at just industrial information, but but this seems to be a general a general trend at this point. Um, and, and we probably have a subsequent equity decline ahead of us before the the, the, the equity the rally really starts. Um, usually equities rally kind of from the middle of a recession as you're kind of getting to the bottom of it and long before you can actually see growth coming, usually equities hit a bottom and, and hit higher. But we're a long way from that. Equities are up today, they were up yesterday, they were up the day before that because this this sort of weak growth and and you know the the, the Fed suddenly start stopped sounding as hawkish and so everybody gets very, very excited about the interest rate trend. Interest rates dropped a bit, stocks blasted off, and I think it's fairly unlikely that that continues given where we are, where we're headed into into a recession here. But what does it mean? What does the employment number mean for inflation? Because after all, I'm the inflation guy, and 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 um, and I've just said that I, you know, we're we're likely going into a recession if we haven't already begun one later than I thought we would. Um, but the answer about inflation is actually a little bit unfortunate. Higher unemployment definitely affects wages. Um, which is what, and by the way, let's, let's abstract for a second. We just had this massive, uh, wage settlement, um, uh, for the United Auto Workers with the three major car companies in in the United States that it's going to mean much higher wages for, for union workers for the next several years and cost of living adjustments and so on. And there are other places, there are other upward pressures on wages that are going to probably change the timing of all this. But higher unemployment um, definitely does affect wages in in sort of the medium term. That's what Phillips said, and that's what the Phillips curve says. Higher unemployment means slower wage growth. Phillips never said that higher unemployment means lower inflation. He said it means lower wage growth. Um, There is no clear impact between higher unemployment and lower core inflation. I've talked about that here on the program before. When we talk about raising interest rates to slow the economy, basically we're talking about hurting wage on earners. We're not doing anything to slow inflation. If If you look at the history of what happens to core inflation when you raise interest rates, the answer is nothing. Um... So why do people think that higher unemployment causes lower inflation? Well, partly because it sounds like it should. Lower wages, you know, higher unemployment means lower wages, therefore lower costs to the employer, and therefore vendors can lower prices, right? That makes perfect sense. It sounds right. Unfortunately, it doesn't really work that way, uh, which is why that people say the Phillips curve is broken. If you it, changes in unemployment don't affect prices. Uh, they affect wages. And the connection between wages and prices, if anything, wages follow inflation, they don't lead. And so people screw this up all the time. They say the Phillips curve is broken, but but Phillips 
said nothing about inflation and unemployment. He only said he only talked about wages and unemployment. And by the way, I've I, I've written a blog at least twice on this topic, um, and there's a link in the show notes to the most recent version, um, just sort of demonstrating that the link between unemployment and and wages is quite good, but the link between unemployment and inflation just doesn't exist. But again, don't blame Phillips. It wasn't his fault. He said the right thing. It's, it's economists since then that have screwed it all up. The other reason that people think higher unemployment and recessions cause disinflation is that recessions tend to lower energy prices. So if you naively look at headline inflation and recessions, rather than core, you look at headline inflation and recessions, then it looks like recessions cause disinflation because recessions cause a decline in energy prices, and energy prices are most of the volatility in in headline inflation, which is why we take it out and look at core. And so if you look at headline inflation and recessions, you, you do it, it does look like, you know, those two are, are, are linked. And if you just look at energy prices and recessions, they're clearly linked. But if you take out the energy prices, then they're not linked anymore. Um, there's just no if, – if you remove energy, the correlation just sort of vanishes. And there's, there's just no evidence that, <laughs> that recessions cause lower core inflation. And that's the reason that the Phillips curve looks broken if you lose, use the wrong version of it. Higher unemployment causes lower wage growth, but lower rate wage growth, if anything, follows core inflation rather than leading it. And so you don't have this connection between unemployment and core inflation. Now, when you have huge changes in wages, inflation, growth, um, like we've just had um, you know, in money, growth, and prices – then wages and growth and inflation do tend to move together because it's because money is moving all of them, right? So if you have a big spurt of money, that tends to cause prices to go up. Yeah, it tends to cause wages to go up because the overall price level is going up. Uh, and it tends to cause growth or at least apparent growth uh, because there's more money, more liquidity in the system. Um, but again, that's not growth causing inflation. It's not you know, and the lack of it isn't isn't recession causing disinflation. In that case, it's it's money which is causing all of the above. Um, and so, if you sort of have stable monetary policy, the the correlation just sort of disappears between these things. Um, so we go back to the Fed and the shrinking of the balance sheet, which is the main story that we're looking at now. It's the main story of our day, of our time. It's what determines what's going to determine what happens to inflation in the medium term. And I've said, and I just wrote another blog uh, piece, which you should read about money velocity. And, uh, and and I give a lot of credit to to the Fed, which has been much more hawkish for much longer than I ever thought it would be. And, and, and by the way, by focusing a lot of their energy on shrinking the balance sheet, they're, they're kind of doing the right, well, they're doing half of the right thing. Um, and, and so Powell deserves some credit for that. Um, but um, it's been easy so far, and they're about to get into a difficult uh, part of this. And again, I, I think in, in the most recent CPI reports that I've, I've been given, I've been giving, uh, I, I talk about how the hard part is just getting started. But um, if the Fed continues to shrink the balance sheet, then it will eventually, like in like late 24, 25, it will eventually lower core inflation and 
and it will look like higher unemployment did it. When really what it is, is it's lower money growth that's doing all of the above. But honestly, it would take real stones. It would take real stones to continue to reduce the holdings of treasuries that the Fed has while the deficit expands in the recession uh, and while we are in a recession and unemployment rate is going up. It would be Volcker-level hawkishness. And, and let's face it, we're just one chairman removed from Yellen-level dovishness. <laughs> so suddenly going to Volcker-level hawkishness, as much as I, I think Powell has, has done an important thing moving away from Yellen-level dovishness, um, I think the, um, it, it, it's unlikely that we, we go to that to that uh, turn. And obviously the stock market believes that, that, that that's not going to happen. Now, I can't imagine the Fed not easing for a while. I, I, I will give Powell credit um, when he says that they have no intention of doing that for a while. And I think he's right because inflation isn't going to come down. It's going to be sticky at this three and a half, four percent kind of level for a while. And again, I talk about that a little bit in, in my most recent article about money, monetary velocity. So I can imagine the Fed not easing for a while, but I have a real problem imagining them tightening further or continuing to shrink the balance sheet a lot while the unemployment rate continues to climb. And it looks like the unemployment rate is going to continue to climb. And that's really the problem, right? So the Fed now has to choose between being less aggressive on the balance sheet and or lowering interest rates to cushion the recession while stimulating inflation further or being just as aggressive as before to squeeze inflation out, which means a worse recession. Up to now, they haven't had to choose between those things, but now they do. Really, I think there's three options. The third option, uh, which is not going to be taken, <laughs> is to continue to shrink the balance sheet while lowering interest rates. Back when the Fed moved interest rates by controlling the supply of overnight funds, that, that wouldn't work. But since the Fed now moves rates essentially by fiat and saying they, they're targeting a lower rate and short rates move and, and um, uh, they could, um, in theory, continue to shrink the balance sheet while lowering interest rates. The lower interest rates would help the economy and shrinking the balance sheet would help inflation down. And so you would have the right mix of policies. Um, higher interest rates only affect growth and not inflation, and the, whereas the money supply is what produces inflation. So if they lower rates while tightening money, then then also velocity won't go up as high as it otherwise would. That also helps inflation. So I, I think the odds that we get that combination of policy is pretty small um, because of the way the Fed thinks about money and the way they Think about interest rates and the importance of interest rates driving the economy, which it does, and driving inflation, which it does not. Um, I think it's unlikely that you would see those two parts of policy move in opposite directions. But that would be my prescription. Um, I, uh, so I, I think that it's more likely the Fed keeps rates up but stops shrinking the balance sheet and therefore choosing recession because inflation isn't as low as they want it to be. Higher rates and slower growth or high, higher rates than the market is now thinking will happen and slow growth. It's a bad mix for equities. And so I suspect that once the elation is over about the end of tightening, 
stocks will eventually come back down to earth. And that's normal as we get into the early part of the recession here. And that's what I have to say about the employment report and where we are kind of in the cycle based on the employment report. Uh, so let's go back to the trivia question. And the question was what major league baseball franchise back in 1890, the powerhouse, uh, of the bridegrooms, what, uh, when they won the pennant, their, their first pennant back in 1890, what major league baseball franchise is that now known as? And the, and the answer is that the Los Angeles Dodgers back in 1890, when they were still in New York, were known as the bridegrooms. How intimidating, the bridegrooms. Anyway, that's all for today's podcast. Uh, I appreciate you tuning in, as always, and I really appreciate it when you hit that like button and, and subscribe and, and refer other people to this here blog. Uh, feel free to write to me at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com. I, I respond to all of the email that I get there. You can subscribe for free to the blog I was just referring to at inflationguy.blog. There are a couple of links in the uh, in the show notes. Follow me on Twitter at inflation underscore guy. Visit Enduring Investments and defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy. <laughs>